Psalm 3, the, the title for this series as we're working through the Psalms, Patterns for Prayer, Pointers to Christ, uh, the title of my sermon. So again, the Lament Psalms, they all move, and this is glorious, they all move from woe to worship. They always end on this note of praise. And again, as I pray tonight, the game changer, it's when the psalmist fixes his eyes, not on his circumstances, but on the Lord, that everything changes. And we're going to see that in verse 3. So from woe to worship, the big idea, confidently cry out to the Lord for help in the present because of what he's done in the past. Why can we have peace in the present? Not just because we know the end of the story, but we know what God has done for us already. Amen? He's met our greatest need through his son. We have every reason to trust him. Is true? So again, confidently call out to the Lord for help in the present because of what he's done in the past. Um, man, Mom, you remember this. And, and Clark was so much like me in this regard. And thankfully, he's grown out of it. I used to be terrified of the night. And it wasn't just the dark. I didn't like being by myself. And I think it was because my dad didn't really monitor carefully what I watched on TV. And I remember um, that movie, It, like the original Stephen King, It, on like TNT. I watched that when I was like six, seven, and it ruined me. I was terrified. And I remember my initial remedy was setting up a pillow fortress around my bed. And I thought this would keep away anything that was going to try to get me. <laughs> I, just, I was terrified, and that didn't work. The, the pillow fortress didn't work. Here was my solution, and this did work. When you guys fell asleep, and I've told you this story, but when my mom and dad fell asleep, I would get my pillow, and I would get one blanket, and I would leave my bedroom, and I would go into the hall, and I would open their door, and I would crack it open, and I would lay down, and if I could see my dad, his face, I slept like a baby. Now, the problem was they would wake up, and I'd be asleep uh, in the hallway on the floor. But you understand what I'm saying? Is when I looked to my father, when I saw my dad, it dispelled all my fear, all my anxiety, all my worry, and I slept soundly. And thankfully, I grew out of that. But it was when I fixed my eyes on my father. In Psalm 3, and we're going to see this tonight, David looks to the Father when surrounded by enemies and vicious threats. And for David, this was the game changer. Everything changes when he fixes his eyes on the Father, on his Lord. Amen? So let's read that. This is Psalm 3. Again, we've covered Psalm 1. Hey, we covered Psalm 2. Now we're in Psalm 3. He could go all the... No, I'm not. We're going to skip next week. But Psalm 3. Um, oh, Lord. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Say la. Here it is. But you. Everybody say but. But. But you. <laughs> you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. Do you see what happens? He's moving from his circumstances to the Lord. His, his, his vision changes. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and, I love this, I lay down and slept. I woke again, why? For the Lord sustained me. 
I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8, this is remarkable. We're going to come back to this at the end, but I want you to listen carefully here. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. But the last thing he says is incredible. Your blessing be on your people. The very people that meant to harm him, he prays a blessing on them. What? Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's incredible. Well, we shouldn't be surprised as believers because when we've received mercy, we're called to extend mercy. Amen? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. All right. Let me just give a little introduction because this is the most popular type of psalm, the lament. So there are more than 60 laments in the Psalter. And these types, the lament typically begins, and it's, it's very dramatic, okay? But it's real. I mean, we know that life is not rainbows and butterflies, amen? It's not. And if I sat up here, and I guess I'm standing, but if I stood up here and said that, you would say, liar. That's not our reality. Life is hard. We suffer. Loved ones die. We're opposed, not just by the enemy Satan, but by people in our life, co-workers. Life is hard. So the, the Psalms, these Psalms typically begin with the psalmist crying out to the Lord in anguish, desperation, even anger. So emotionally charged, these songs are produced. These are songs, right? These were songs to be sung by God's people These songs are produced from situations of despair, suffering, and even hopelessness. When you read these psalms, it appears like the odds are stacked against the psalmist and those he represents. And again, what what I really like about the laments is there's this beautiful element of honesty, right? Aren't you thankful for that? There's no pretending here. Um, This brother, David, I mean, this is... This is how it is, Lord. I mean, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm surrounded. I'm, I'm threatened. I'm opposed. I don't like this, right? The psalmist holds nothing back from the Lord. He's completely transparent before his Lord and Maker. And, you know, when you know someone intimately well, you can be transparent like that. Amen? When you know someone really well, when you know their heart and that they love you and they care for you, you can be open with them, you can be honest with them. God invites that from us. It's true. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, doesn't God know our hearts? Can we, can we kid God? No, we can't. And yet, and, and here's where things change, and yet, even in the midst of overwhelming opposition, the psalmist again and again in these laments is found crying out to the Lord in hope trusting the Lord to intervene on his behalf and on behalf of God's people. The the cry in all of these lament psalms, it's a cry for rescue. It's a a cry for salvation. But again, if if you get nothing else tonight, okay, the movement, the movement in these psalms is from woe to, to worship, from woe to worship. Let me talk about the situation here. So, the heading, or what's called the superscription, you see that line above the chapter. This is found oftentimes in the, the earliest Hebrew text. It reads, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So after, after David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba, 
His, if you've read David's story, his life comes crashing down all around him, right? David's personal sin had devastating consequences, not just for him, but for really the, the nation as a whole. For his family, yes, but for the nation as a whole. And if you know about David's son, Absalom, he was a, he was a manipulator, okay? Um, he stole the hearts of God's people from David. We see this in 2 Samuel 15. And he staged a coup against his father, the king. So David was forced to flee from Jerusalem for his life. He was a man on the run. And I always thought that song, uh, you know, band on the run, was man on the run. And so when I think about David, I'm like, is Paul McCartney singing about David? Man on the run. But it's band on the run. I'm really bad with music lyrics. I'm like, oh, I think, and Haley's really good at it. So she's always correcting me. And I, I mean, but she's kind about it. But I'm always singing the wrong lyrics. Um, that wasn't significant or relevant, so I'm sorry. Um, but again, David feels the fear and the pain that such devastating circumstances would inevitably bring to anybody. I mean, can you imagine you're being chased by your son? But we know that, I mean, this is a result of David's sin. And yet David's trust in his Lord and in his promises remained. And that's really important. So this Psalm, Psalm 3 Although addressing a very real historical situation in the life of David, right? That, that's the original context. It can be like all the Psalms appropriately applied to the lives of God's people today. These Psalms are eternally relevant. Amen. We don't just look at these from afar and say, "Well, I guess that helped David." No, this is for us. This is God's word for us. It's living and active. It, it's it's for our what? It's for our benefit. God is teaching us how to call out to him when life is hard. So the goal, though, when you're doing what's called exegesis, maybe you've never heard of that word, when you're trying to interpret, when you're trying to understand, okay, God, what was, what was the author's intention, right? So the author of Scripture who's inspired by the Spirit, what was he intending to communicate? That, that's the first question. But also, when we do application, we want to find a comparable situation. So a bad, a bad example would be Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, I've kind of used this illustration kiddingly, but it's like I, I forgot to study for my exam, right? I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a test worth half my grade for the semester. I forgot to study, but then all of a sudden it dawns on me. Philippians 4.13, baby. I can do all things. I got this. Is that a comparable situation? No, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. So what's a comparable situation? David's uh, not a band on the run, but a man on the run being chased by his psychotic son. And maybe, hopefully, that's never been you. But what would be a comparable situation? If you've ever been overwhelmed, who's ever been overwhelmed by life? Distraught, oppressed, even persecuted as a follower of Jesus, if you've felt the odds stacked against you, or maybe you're dealing with a crisis today, marital, uh, financial difficulty in the workplace, at school, this psalm is for you. This psalm is for you. So sing, pray, and cry out to the Lord in the midst of your own distress and suffering. And yet remember God's promise to always be with you. Again, don't forget that the Psalms address every situation under the sun, and thus were meant to be personalized and applied by all of God's people. So like David, we too have an enemy. We too face real opposition, uh, persecution, emotional pain, spiritual warfare. But 
We too, like David, have a mighty God who acts on our behalf. So let me give you the structure. This is Psalm 3, a simple structure, a simple layout. Verses 1 and 2, we have the problem. Who's got problems? David had problems, okay? We all got problems, so there is a problem. Verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 6 is the transition. This is the game changer where we see that David, even though he's got problems, okay, his circumstances are not ideal, he still what? He trusts in the Lord. Verse 7, we have his prayer for salvation. And then verse 8, we have praise. Because again, the laments move from woe to worship. Now, this is helpful for me. Um, I like this kind of stuff. There are common elements. Any lament psalm, you're going to find act, dap. A-C-T, D-A-P. You down with A-C-T? Yeah, you know me. All right. At depth, so we have an address. If you're taking notes, there's always going to be an address. The psalmist is addressing who? Who's he addressing? The Lord. He speaks to the Lord. That's verses 1 and 7. That's the address. The psalmist identifies the Lord as the one he's addressing. And then the C is the complaint. In any lament psalm, there's going to be a complaint. And the psalmist, what he does is he brings his situation to the Lord. He expresses his feelings honestly and he tells why he needs the Lord's help. That's verses 1 and 2, the complaint. So every lament has an address, a complaint, and then there's that trust element. That's the T. The psalmist conveys his trust in the Lord. His complaint, yes, he complains, but his complaint is grounded in his trust in the Lord to act. He brings his situation to the Lord. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we even pray? Why do we bring our situations to the Lord? Because we trust Him. Prayer is how we exercise our dependence on the Lord. If we're not praying, we're being prideful. We're saying, God, I don't need you. We're being arrogant and independent, foolishly so. But when we pray, we're saying, Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I trust you. That's why he prays. In praying, David is communicating, expressing, conveying trust in the Lord to act. That's verses 3 to 6. All right, so that's act, A-C-T. Now we got what? Dap. Give me some, give me some dap. Do kids still say that? Now it's like nugs. Give me some nugs, but give me some dap. All right. Dap, the D, is deliverance. The psalmist cries out to the Lord for rescue, for salvation from the situation described in the complaint. Okay, so... Here, he's crying out for rescue. Save me from my situation. That's verse 7a. And then there's the A, assurance. Similar to the trust element, the psalmist expresses assurance in the Lord's saving intervention. God will be victorious. And that's verse 7b. And then again, we got the P, which is praise, because every lament moves from woe, woe, God, to worship. So the P is praise. I guess, yeah, you could have said act doll, but I don't know, act that just sounds better. So praise. The W would have been worship. The Lord is praised by the psalmist for what he's done, is doing, and will do. That's verse 8. All right, so four points. Verses 1 and 2, we have the problem. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying on my soul, there is no salvation for him 
in God. Wow. <laughs> you ain't got no hope, bro. Ain't nobody going to save you. These words clearly express David's situation in 2 Samuel 15 to 17. For example, verse 2 of the psalm finds support in 2 Samuel 16, 7 to 8. The people, the people had lost faith in God's established ruler. Doubt began to surface as to whether or not God's presence was still with David. So what's the takeaway here? Point number one, bring your difficult situation before the Lord. Bring it before the Lord. Bring it before the Lord. He knows and he cares, right? He cares. Do you guys remember, I think it was at the end of uh, Exodus 2, remember? God hears, he, he sees, he knows, right? God cares. I mean, they're crying out for help. Israel, God sees it. He hears it. He knows. God cares. So what should we do? We should bring our difficult situation before the Lord with honesty and transparency. Express to God your pain and suffering, your worries and frustrations. Cry out to God. This is what the psalm is teaching us, to cry out to God when overwhelmed, when feeling beat down. We have His ear, amen? If we have the Son, we have the Father's ear. We complain as Christians to a God that we know with confidence can act on our behalf. Therefore, our complaints are filled with trust, with hope. That's the key here. Um, I've gone through hard seasons in ministry. I remember you were pretty scared when I was in Africa. Um, A lot of malaria going around in the village, and I found out halfway through my time there that I was on a medication that didn't work anymore. And the Lord spared me. I was thankful for that. I didn't get much sleep. I was teaching six classes. I was teaching master's level classes and undergraduate. I was preaching every weekend. I started a youth group in the village. I was overwhelmed, but the Lord sustained me. I, I cried out to him daily, Lord, I need your help. I'm tired. Oftentimes things wouldn't be communicated. We need you to do this today. Okay, like, like now? Yeah, right now. Like preach a sermon right now? Yes. Okay, can, can I have five minutes? You can have three. Okay, <laughs> here we go. And I remember at the Boston Rescue Mission when I was in seminary, I got bit by a guy that had full-blown AIDS. I mean, he was homeless, a little crazy, and he bit me on the head. Full-blown AIDS. And I'm like, well, this, is, this could really be bad. Thankfully, Doc, it didn't break the skin, and everybody checked it out, and I was okay. But, man, that was a tough season, too. You remember that, Mom? I called you, like, hey, I might be in trouble. <laughs> we pray for me? Ministry can be hard. Life can be hard. As Christians, we have a real enemy. It's true. What do we do? What does the word teach us to do? Well, our culture would say, hey man, when, when the tough gets going, the going get tough, right? We or, no, I'm sorry, when the tough gets going, when the going gets tough. It's a good thing I don't even know that saying, right? Because I don't live by it. But when the tough gets going, no. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, is that it? Basically, it's pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You got this, you can do it. That's what our culture teaches us, right? You can do this. Oh, man, we can't. We need the Lord's help. So what do we do? Church, we, we cry out. We call out. We trust the Lord. One more story. Um, to this day, I don't know what happened here. I was invited to speak uh, at Gordon College. Gordon College is a well-known, actually, where R.C. Sproul taught. It's pretty cool. I mean, he taught his first 
uh, it was Gordon, it was called Gordon something else, but essentially it's in South Hamilton, outside of Boston. I went to seminary right there, but the college is where R.C. Sproul taught uh, right when he finished uh, his doctorate. And so there was some cool history there. Um, but I was invited to teach, and it was all the men in the college. And there was like probably, I don't know, three, four hundred men in a room this size. And I was preaching on Acts. Um, this would have been 2008. I was preaching on James. James 5, 19 and 20. That's right. And so I was prepared. I'd studied. I'd prayed. I was walking with the Lord. And I get up there, and I read the text, and I, I stop. And it's like my mouth won't work. I don't know what was going on, man. I, I just could, I, I was, and so I, the guy that invited me, I said, I said, bro, I don't know what's going on, man. I, I, will you pray for me? I said, guys, I, I need to stop and pray. I, I'm not sure, I don't know if I was nervous or what, but I said, well, and he prayed over me, and as soon as we called out to the Lord, got up there, preached, the whole school got saved. No, they didn't, but I preached, and the Lord used it, man. All these brothers were so encouraged but what did I, I could have just said, okay, I got this. But no, I, I said, we need to call it to the Lord. I need help. Whoa, what was me? <laughs> and the Lord was praised. So thank the Lord for that. David's complaint in Psalm 3 may be more real to you than I realize. Maybe someone close to you, family, uh, could be a close friend, maybe a coworker has marginalized you or labeled you as an outcast because of your faith in Jesus. Anybody been there? You're a Christian. They treat you differently. They, they kind of relegate you to the periphery now. Maybe you hear these words all the time. I don't know your situation, but maybe you hear these words all the time. There is no salvation in God. You've been deceived. You're foolish for thinking that Jesus can save you or that you even need salvation. What do you do here? What do you do here? You call out to God. You pour out your heart to God. And when you pray to God, here's the practice step. When you pray to God, be honest. God knows your heart already. Be candid and clear always before the king. Let God know what you're confronting, how it makes you feel, and how he can help. When you're hurting, again, I, this is so ingrained in us as Americans. And I'm, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm not putting down our nation but there's a lot in our culture that we should reject as Christians in this can-do attitude that I don't need anybody to help me. That is a lie from Satan, right? When we're overwhelmed, we need the Lord. We need the Lord every single day, amen? And so our, our initial reaction should always be what? Calling out to the Lord, praying to God, Father, help me, help me. When you're in pain, call out to God. When you feel attacked, call out to God. This in itself is an act of trust. What else do we learn from this psalm? Verses 3 to 6. Okay, here's the next section. So we've looked at the problem, okay? Point number one, bring your difficult situation before the Lord. No matter what you're facing, if you're overwhelmed, you're tired, you feel beat down, opposed, I don't know what things are like at home right now, but what should you do? Bring your difficult situation before the Lord. Verses 3 to 6, right? Trust in the Lord. But you, O Lord, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me 
all around. Number two, point number two, in your cries of distress, anchor and acknowledge your hope in the Lord. In your cries of distress, anchor and acknowledge your hope in the Lord. So to lament is not just, I mean, I'm an ugly crier. That's not lamenting. It's not just weeping and wailing frivolously. Our weeping and wailing is an expression of our hope. It's the beginnings of hope expressed. So again, to lament is not just weeping and wailing void of hope. No, this is the beginnings of hope. But we're crying out to God. We're saying, God, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your grace. I need your strength. I am desperate for you. David was desperate. When was the last time you felt desperate? You should feel it every single day. I'll be honest, if we don't feel desperate every single morning, something's wrong with us. I think we're what? We're inching too close to independence. God, I got this. No, we should feel desperate for the Lord's grace and his strength. We need his wisdom. We need the spirit. I like verse 3 because it's packed full of military metaphors. When I turned 29, I lamented because that was the cutoff age for Navy SEALs. And Haley laughed. Like, why are you so sad today? It's your, your, it's your birthday. We go big in my house. And I said, I can't be a SEAL now. When were you going to be a SEAL? I wasn't. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm called to ministry. But now I can't. She's like, you're crazy. I just, again, I've read like dozens of books on the SEALs. My uncle was a SEAL. I've always appreciated and loved the military. And if I could have been a SEAL, man. Mike, could I have made it, man? I don't know. If I worked at it, yeah. Psychologically, it's, it's the psychological. My uncle, I mean, my uncle is a very unassuming man. You know what, Dave's 5'8 mom, David, but he is, he's got those Popeye forearms. And sometimes he looks at me and I start to cry. I'm like, how does he do that? All right, verse 3, chock full of military metaphors. David describes God as a shield about me. Now, this is really cool. So when used metaphorically, it just means God is my protection. He's my refuge. But what does it mean to think of the Lord as a shield? What what does this communicate? So David's confidence is in the Lord, but there's this prepositional phrase, a shield about me. Right? A, A normal shield only protected the front of the soldier. But he says a shield about me, meaning that the Lord is watching over his whole person. Every side is watched and protected by God. And if you go to verse 6, you'll see why this is so significant. The Lord is a shield about David. What do we see in verse 6? We see that many thousands of people have set themselves against David all around. He's surrounded, but who's surrounding him? The Lord. Oh. So David's trust remains in the Lord who provides him protection all around. So how does David... David, how does David respond to pain, suffering, uncertainty, and opposition? He makes his situation known to the Lord, and then he expresses his trust in the Lord. He goes to the Lord in prayer. If, if I had to guess, if we took a poll, because I'm getting to know this church, my church, this is our church I would guess that most of us are more deficient, not in our Bible reading, but in our prayer life. I bet that's true. In fact, I think that's true of most Christians. I think a lot of Christians are pretty good about being in the Word, which we should be. If you want to hear from God, you need to be in His Word. Amen? 
and I've said this a lot, walking by the Spirit demands the Word of God because the Spirit works through the Word. But I think a lot of us, we struggle to pray consistently, and that's a problem. And that should worry you. Not cause you anxiety, but it should convict you, right? I mean, if I felt that way about my wife, what would that communicate? I just don't want to talk to Haley. You guys might question what kind of husband I am, right? And if we're not talking to our Savior, what does that communicate? I'm going to skip this part. Um, One thanks of Ephesians 6.16, which reads, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So our faith and God's saving promises will shield us against the lies of the evil one. Are we surrounded as well, church? Yeah, we are all around. But we're called to take up the shield of faith. It's our trust in God and his promises. And that is a sure defense against the lies of Satan. When you are immersing yourself in the promises of God, you'll be protected against the lies of the evil one. Amen? Take up your shield. What might this look like? So I I think we all get that. Okay, so shield of faith, trusting in God's word, extinguishing the lies of Satan. So if I trust in God's promises, that's how I'm going to be on guard against the the enemy's lies, right? So we we get that. But let me just give you a few verses, what this might look like. This is Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? So again, the, the evil one wants to sow seeds of doubt and worry and anxiety, but God promises to provide for his people. Amen? I mean, he cares for the birds. How much more does he value us, his people? So that's a good promise to hold on to. Amen? Philippians 4, 6-7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, but all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So taken together, I've picked from mainly the New Testament, but also the Old. Taken together, we know, we're reminded of God's promises, that he cares for us, He promises peace. He promises to work everything together, including our pain and suffering, for our good. And he's always with us. Amen? I've shared this, but when we went through a season of lament, and this was three years ago, when we lost our daughter, and then we had three more miscarriages in a row, man, I mean, we were struggling. We were lamenting, but we were calling out to the Lord. We lived in the Psalms. We lived... I shared this with Travis recently. We lived in the laments. I'm so thankful for God's word because it taught me to cry out honestly to God, to trust in his character, to rest in who he is and what he's done. And always, by God's grace, it ended with me and Haley praising God, worshiping him. The Lord carried us from woe to worship through his word. Amen? So in order to do this, though, right, you must be familiar with what? You've got to be familiar with God's Word. 
Again, I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know that if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a healing balm available for you, for me, for us in the Word of God. All right, this is cool, man. If I've lost you, come back, because not only is he a shield about us, but David said, my glory. What does that mean? He's my glory. It's the Hebrew word kavod. He's my glory, my honor. So this is really, this is really sweet. The word glory can mean possessions or spoils of war. So again, military language, right? You conquer enemy nation. I mean, hey, you get the spoils, man. To the victor go the, the spoils. So although David, I mean, that's not David's situation, right? He's, he's in retreat mode right now. He's a, a man on the run. David has lost everything, his kingdom, his family. But he still had who? He still had God and his powerful presence. As one commentator, I forgot who said this, but he said, David has been stripped of all earthly pomp, but cannot be deprived of God. Who is his glory, his spoils, his possession? Again, I mean, from an earthly perspective, David, you're struggling, bro. You've lost everything, right? No, I still have the Lord, and I'm rich. Amen? The Lord is sufficient. It's also used, this word kavoth, to refer to one's honor, uh, one's distinction, one's reputation. So it seems that David trusted the Lord to vindicate him and restore his honor. What satisfaction, what trust. And so not only does David describe, so David here is in trust mode. He trusts that the Lord is the shield around him. He's his great vindicator, right? He possesses the Lord, therefore he's rich. Take everything else, but I have the Lord, but he's also the lifter of my head. So in this culture, a lowered head signified dejection, humility, shame. The Lord would lift David's head. He would give him victory and vindication. God would turn the tables. And David trusted the Lord to do this. Isn't that cool? This is an example of synthetic parallelism, right? And what does that mean? It's the quiz. It's the, the what? The development of a thought, right? It's, it's like taking that idea to the next level. So the thought expressed in the first line is further developed. So not only will the Lord protect David but he's going to provide him with victory. I'm not just going to shield you, bro. I'm going to give you vindication. I'm going to give you victory. Amen? That's pretty cool. So in summary, God is the reason for David's confidence. Who's the reason for our confidence? Same answer, the Lord. Verse 4, and this is, this is really helpful. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So David is confident that his cries have been heard and that the Lord has already begun to act on his behalf to deliver him. David's cry reveals his heart. Now, what does it mean when he says, and he answered me from his holy hill? This is really important. Taking notes. What does that symbolize? And he answered me from his holy hill. David is saying that God is still king. The holy hill, Zion, represented the Lord's footstool, his royal throne on earth. David is saying, in spite of my circumstances, right? What were the people saying? Bro, God's not with you, man. There is no salvation for you in God. David is saying, God is still sovereign. 
God is still in control. God is still king. He's still faithful. I trust him. This fits so well with Psalm 2, right? David was confident that the Lord would deliver his anointed one, the one whose rule he had established in Zion. I I talked about this back early on in Exodus. We were talking about uh, covenant, right? There's the suzerain and the vassal. Who's the suzerain? The mighty king and the vassal are the smaller kings that the bigger kings would rescue, right? And they'd enter into a covenant relationship. And when that would happen, the mighty king, the big king, you know, capital K, would swear to protect the smaller kings that they'd rescue, right? And so who's the smaller king in this scenario? David, right? Who had God entered into covenant with? David. Go back to 2 Samuel 7, right? And so David trusts that God's going to see his promises through. Amen? Because when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. When God makes a promise, it's as good as done. David trusts that God is in control, that he's king, and that he's faithful. Verse 5, oh, this is so good. Don't fall asleep on me, though. I lay down and slept. I woke again. So wake up, for the Lord sustained me. What trust? David is able to rest. Okay, if you ever watched like a, a, what's the old movie with Harrison Ford? The Fugitive. You remember that movie, The Fugitive? This is like back in the early 90s, I think. And Tommy Lee Jones is, um, he's the law enforcement agent. Uh, and he's, and, and he was like, oh man, the story, it's, okay, yeah, I remember now. So, uh, Dr. Kimball, that's his name, Dr. Kimball. So Dr. Kimball is framed for murdering his wife. He knows he didn't do it. We know he didn't do it as the audience. Everyone thinks he did it, right? There's all this incriminating evidence. And so he is a man on the run. He is a fugitive. And I'm like, bro, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, you never slept. Like, when, I mean, you're, you're on the run. Can you imagine being on the run? I mean, you can't sleep. You're being chased by law enforcement. But what does David say? He's being chased by an army. And what does he say? I lay down and slept. I woke again. Why? For the Lord sustained me. Oh, David is able to rest while surrounded by enemy forces, knowing that the Lord will protect him, that God is in control. And he attributes waking up to the Lord's sustaining grace. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I think of Jesus' invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what, Daniel? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. What does it mean to rest in the Lord? It amounts to total peace and satisfaction rooted in God's past promises and performance. What God has promised and accomplished means peace and satisfaction for the believer. Why do we have peace today? Why do we rest today? Because of what God has accomplished through His Son. Our greatest need has been met. Amen? We can rest. If you're in Christ, if we're in Christ, we're forgiven. We have a relationship with God. Our greatest need has been met. We have the hope of eternal life. Therefore, we can rest. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Fear has been dispelled. What's up? I mean, David's circumstances haven't changed. What changed? Ooh, what changed? It, there's a movement from this to this. That, it's like a, what, a 30-degree change? Just, he's no longer looking at his circumstances. He's looking at his Savior. He's looking at the Lord. 
I mean, guys, listen. I, again, I don't, know what, I don't want to pretend to know what some of you are going through today. I know life can be hard, right? It can be hard. I trust that God is sovereign in all of that. If we look at our circumstances and we remain there, what are we saying? Typically, God, I got this. I can work this out. I can do this. But when we look to the Lord, what are we being reminded of? God's got this. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is with me. God is for me. Again, David's circumstances hadn't changed, but his outlook has been clearly transformed. C.S. Lewis said this once, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. (laughs) I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. So by calling out to God, by redirecting his attention to the Lord, David's whole perspective changes. Why? Because he's not looking to his circumstances, he's looking to the Savior. Does that make sense? He's not focusing on the problem, but in prayer, he's focusing on the one who's greater than his problem. Such trust moves one to action. Verse 7, prayer for salvation. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Point number three, call out to the Lord confidently for rescue. Call out to the Lord confidently for rescue. So David has made his complaint, right? He has stated the problem. He's expressed up to this point his great trust in the Lord. He now prays for salvation, rescue from his enemies. Verse 7, arise, O Lord. It's the Hebrew word kum. It means arise in action. God, do something, please. What is the reason or grounds for David's confident cry, his confident prayer for salvation? This is the most helpful thing you'll hear tonight. David's trust in God's ability to act now and in the future is based upon past experience. David's trust in God's ability to act now and in the future is based upon past experience. Verse 7, C and D. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. One can imagine at this point David looking back to his standoff with Goliath the warrior giant of the Philistine people. That's 1 Samuel 17. The Lord in the past had given David victory over his enemy. He'd do it again. Amen? He'd do it again. Where do we need to look for confidence for the present and the future? We need to look back to the cross and the empty tomb. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need gospel confidence. Amen? How do we know the Lord is with us and for us? This is not prosperity gospel, okay? That is a lie. I'm saying that no matter what you find yourself in, you can trust that the Lord will give you the grace and the strength to persevere, to continue trusting Him, to keep on keeping on, folks. Right. Why? Because God has shown us His incredible love, His care, His concern, His compassion through giving, what? His life for sinners like us, meeting our greatest need. He'll do it again. He'll continue to provide. He'll continue to be with us. He promises to be. Now, some may cringe at the language. I mean, do you guys, I mean, <laughs> the, the language of, I'm not laughing at it. I just, I, I've read this, uh, this type of 
lament psalm in the imprecatory language, right? Dash their teeth, smash their face, smash, bash, crash. And, you know, some of today's listeners are like, that is horrible. How dare you? I don't think any of you are cringing at this language, but let me unpack it a little bit. This language is an expression of David, his confidence in God's absolute victory over the powers that threaten and oppose. Furthermore, and maybe you didn't catch it, it's subtle. It represents David's trust in God to act justly and God to give justice. David doesn't say, for I strike all my enemies on the cheek. I break the teeth of the wicked. What does the text say? No, you do it, God. You do it. David's not saying, I'm going to handle it, God. I got it. I'm going to break some teeth. I'm going to smash, bash, and crash. No, he's saying, God, you do it. You serve. You give justice. I trust you to do what's right. Man, that's, that's sweet. That's good. If we don't believe in a God who will right all wrongs and one day give justice, and again, when I say justice, the biblical word, it means to right all wrongs. Is the world wrong today? Are things as they should be? I mean, is this... Is this as good as it's going to get? No. I mentioned this the other day. I mean, abortions are still happening. The biblical view of marriage is still not being upheld. And many, many people are saying there is no salvation in God. That's wrong. But one day, God is going to right all wrongs. If we don't believe that, what's going to happen? If we don't trust that one day God's going to right all wrongs, what's going to happen? We're going to try to do it. We're going to, we're going to seek revenge. One brother said, Only if I am sure that there's a God who will right all wrongs and settle all accounts perfectly do I have the power to refrain. Right? When you cry out to God in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, be sure to look back on what God has done namely to God's gracious intervention on your behalf in the past. Look to the cross where the battle was won. Meditate on the gospel. Let's keep moving. How does the psalm end? Verse 8, praise the Lord. So again, it moves from woe to worship. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Say law. Final point, point number four, God's character. And this is really important. It's God's character that moves the believer from woe to worship, from complaining to trusting to praying to praising, from complaining to trusting to praying to praising. That's the movement we see in Psalm 3. One more time, from complaining to trusting to praying to praising. The true worshiper of God extends praise to God in all circumstances. What's the game changer? And if you're taking notes, what is the game changer? What allows this movement? That, that's a, these are like diametrically opposed sides. Woe and then worship. How do you get from woe to worship? How do you bridge that gap? I mean, these are like polar opposites. How do you get from woe to worship? It's a right view of God. That's it. It's a right view of God. That, that's the answer. The transition, and if you are listening carefully, in Psalm 3 takes place in verse 3. In verse 3, God's character is brought to light. He's the protector. He's the all-sufficient one. 
He's the one who gives victory to his people. David, after he's reminded of who God is, is able to move from woe to... And where do we need to live to be reminded of who God is, his character? We've got to be people of the word, amen? Constantly in the word, feeding our souls with God's truth, so that when life does happen, we're quickly able to recall who God is and what he's done. And by God's grace, the Spirit is going to work through that to bring his people from woe to worship. So the question is, do you have a right view of God today? (laughs) This will inevitably affect how you live, how you respond to difficulty and pain. So my kids, when hungry, ask mommy and daddy for food. Why? Why do they do that? They know our character. Yeah, get out of here, kid. No, that's not how we talk to our kids. Hey, sure, buddy, what, what would you like? Right? We, we feed our kids. Hopefully you feed your kids. We provide for them. We love them. At least a couple of days a week, right? <laughs> they trust us. They know us. David's finale of praise acknowledges God as the source of salvation. And then what of that final prayer? Did you catch it? I I kind of hinted at what David's doing here. Your blessing be on your people. But remember, who are these people? These are the ones opposing him. That's incredible. And he prays, God, your blessing be on them. Only those, listen to this, only those who have experienced God's gracious salvation can truly extend grace and forgiveness to others, especially to those who are hostile those who oppose us, our enemies. It was God's people who were opposing David, and David prays, what? Your blessing be on your people. This final line resonates with so much of what Jesus says in the Gospels. Matthew 5.44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 11.4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Luke 23.34, Jesus says, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We who have encountered God's love and forgiveness, his salvation, should in turn want others to encounter it as well, even those who are against us. What a clear and beautiful picture of God's salvation. We who trust in the Lord are transformed. New desires spring to life. So here's the practice step. Praise the Savior and pray for your enemies. Now again, if, if you're the victim of domestic violence, I'm not saying just pray. You need to go to the authorities, right? You need to follow the proper channels. But don't seek revenge. Don't say, I'm going to write this. I'm going to bring the same hurt and pain into their life that they brought on mine. Instead, what? Yes, seek justice. Go to the authorities. But what? Forgive. And trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Let me summarize. Number one, make your problems known to the Lord. Number two, in your cries of distress, anchor and acknowledge your hope in the Lord. Number three, call out to the Lord confidently for rescue. And number four, God's character moves the believer from woe to... It's God's character that moves the believer from woe to worship. What enabled David to move from woe to worship? It was... When he fixated on who God is, his character, right? What enables us to move from woe to worship? When we remember who God is and what he's done. Amen? I hope that makes sense. Um, man, it's 730. 
Um, how can I do that? Well, let me just ask this question. How does Psalm 3 point to Christ and the gospel? We know that because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we can cry out to God for help. And what help do we need? We need a Savior, right? We need salvation, salvation from sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us are by nature children of wrath. We deserve eternal punishment. But because of who Christ is and what he's done, we can call out to him for help. And he'll provide. And what is the promise? We who call out, we who acknowledge, we who confess, will be what? We'll be saved. When we acknowledge who we are, we're sinners. And we acknowledge who he is. He's the Savior. And we trust in him. He promises to save us from the greatest enemies of sin, death, and Satan. How long? How long does that salvation last? It's forever. Amen? How can we pray this? Um, I hope this is not something you pray only once. I hope, as I mentioned earlier, that you wake up every morning desperate for the Lord, dependent on Him, acknowledging that, God, I need your grace for today. I need your wisdom for today. I'm totally dependent on you for everything, for being a good dad and a good husband and a good business owner, right? I, I, I need your wisdom. I need your grace. Being a good church member, God, I am totally dependent. Help me. Call out to God. And when life gets hard, and it will, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, what does this psalm teach us to do? To keep calling out to our gracious and merciful and compassionate and loving Savior. And because we have the Son, we have the Father, so we can call out to God and know that He hears us. Amen? He's for us and He's with us. Let me read and pray with me. This is, again, I'm hoping, I feel bad because we're, I've just tried to summarize a lot of material in about two minutes, but I want to end with the prayer that I wrote based on Psalm 3. So pray this with me. Uh, and I'd encourage you to do this. If you journal or just when you read God's Word, respond back based on what you read. That, that's praying God's word. So again, I mean, oh Lord, how many are my foes? God, I know there's a real enemy out there, Satan, who seeks my life. But I know that you're greater. I know that you're more power. I know that you're with me, right? And so um, Piper's written on this. Uh, there's some good books in the book nook. But I, again, when God speaks to us in his word, we need to train ourselves to respond in prayer, speaking back to him what we've heard from him in his words. Does that make sense? So this is what it might look like. Verses 1 and 2. Father, pray with me. Too often we try to deal with life's hardships on our own. Help us to quickly call out to you in the midst of suffering, pain, and opposition. May we first bring our difficult circumstances to the attention of our loving and all-powerful Father. And then verses 3 and 6. Father, help us to rest in you in the finished work of King Jesus today. Help us to constantly remember the gospel, the saving work of our Savior. May our trust in your past work of salvation give us confidence for the present and hope for the future. Help us to be fully satisfied in you and to treasure you supremely. Protect us against the evil one. Guard our hearts and minds. Help us to hide your word in our hearts and to hope in your promises. And then verse 7. Father, we praise you for your saving work. You demonstrated your love for us while we were still sinners through the death of your Son. 
Continue to give us victory over the trappings of the evil one. Help us to persevere in holiness and righteousness. Be with us in our pain and suffering and give us justice for the glory of your name. And then verse 8, Father, oh, what a Savior we serve. You are the author of salvation. It is by your grace that we are saved. May your saving work and the provision of the Holy Spirit continue to result in us, your church, becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. May we who have been forgiven so much be quick to extend forgiveness to others. And all God's people said, Amen.